0: You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Great to be together this evening, and uh, great to see all your faces. And we are starting a new series, as we mentioned on Easter, we would be starting today, a series on relationships and friendships. And as God would have it, uh, one of my good friends from... 30 years, uh, happened, to, happened to mention he was in town, and I said, hey, we're talking about friendships. You're my friend. In fact, of, every, of everybody I know in the church, you're the best friend of anybody I know to people. You know what I mean? Like, anybody that knows this person I'm about to share about knows he's a really good friend to people. Like, he's everyone's friend. Uh, and uh, so, Wade Cook is our guest speaker today to kick off our friendship series. And it's cool. He helped. Uh, amen. Yeah, he helped. Uh, he helped put it together for us. And uh, when I graduated from high school way back in 1989, you guys, '89, wow. class of '89. Um, way back then, uh, our theme song was "Don't You Forget About Me" by. Uh, remember that song? Yeah, I love those guys. Anyways, uh, when I graduated, I was moving to the campus ministry, you know how that is, you know, where you don't know what life's going to bring and all that, and uh, I ended up moving to the campus ministry in the summer uh, because of some, some stuff going on with my life and everything, so I, I moved into this household, and Wade Cook was in the household, and we became roommates and great friends, and we went through some trials and tribulations together, even there, those early days and uh, built a friendship that's lasted you know, since, since then, since 1989. And we uh, have been such a dear, dear friend. is going to share a little bit about uh, how Wade had a special place in her life, too. Um,
1: yeah, I, um, when I was a sophomore, freshman in college, um, Wade invited, because Wade shared his faith is why I'm here, he invited his, uh, a, a kid a classmate. Actually, the, he asked him, can we have our um, Bible talk in your dorm room because we want to start it in this, do- in this dorm and we don't have any place to meet. So the kid was like, okay, sure. And um, he, his, um, the roommate was my sister's now husband. And so um, we all, there was like five of us that all went to high school together. We all went to that Bible talk. And then the room was like, you can't have it here anymore. He didn't like it. So then so then we moved it to a different, and then we moved it to another friend from high school's room. And we all started going and studying the Bible and stuff. But so I'm so grateful for Wade. Not only that, but just different times of the years. I remember another, I was a really young Christian about maybe a month. And we had this all night prayer thing. And I was a young Christian. And I remember just thinking, what am I doing here? I remember this one sister was praying about, grateful for how pretzels bend or something. And I was like, what? I don't even know what she's talking about. It was just weird. But so then we had, then we got to break up into small groups and go out to eat. And Wade was in that group. And, um, I remember thinking, okay, he's really cool. I can do this. I like, it's not, it's not all weird people talking about how God been pretzels. Anyways. So just, um, many times and then, um, Debbie his wife was my roommate several times through college and stuff so we're just really grateful for their lifelong friendship and that, that he's here.
0: And man, what, One other cool thing about Wade is uh, he's so good with parents if you have parents and uh, well everybody has parents but I mean <laughs> if, if your parents get a chance to meet Wade Wade is great around your parents but he's been a great friend to Dessa's parents and because we moved away back in 93 uh, end of 92, beginning of 93, and Wade has, has stayed there in Denver. You know, we were friends in college. He stayed there, and, uh, and and Wade and Debbie went into the ministry and served in the ministry many, many years and kind of were sort of the backbone of the Denver church. They helped uh, with all kinds of different ministries, singles ministries. They really built the youth and family ministry there in Denver that has affected all the families of Denver and so many people outside of Denver by this, this youth and family ministry that they built. And uh, and And Wade was appointed an elder for the Denver church a couple years ago, helping to still shepherd the church. And now he works for Hope Worldwide, and I'll let him share a little bit about what he's doing now. But, but Dessa's family lives in Denver still. They live in up in Evergreen. And so, er, you know, every time we go there, we try to hang out with Wade and Debbie, and they hang out with our parents, with Dessa's parents. And so, the, you know, they, they, Wade and Debbie really reflect the church to uh, my, my, my in-laws. And they love the church because they love people like Wade and Debbie, especially Wade and Debbie. And, uh, you know, every time he comes over, you know, uh, Dessa's dad is always like, man, that Wade Cook, he's such a cool guy. He's such a cool guy. (laughs) So you all get to hear a little bit of Wade today. So let's welcome Wade up. Amen. And uh, as Wade's coming up, uh, bow with me. Let's pray and uh, open our hearts to the scriptures and, uh, and what Wade has to share. God, thank you to be able to be here today. Thank you to sing these songs about you and your love and uh, how your faithfulness is always there for us. Thank you for that example in the Blanco's life, and uh, thank you for their vulnerability and sharing, and thank you so much that he's cancer-free and for the healing power. Uh, that comes uh, in your name, and I pray for him to remain cancer-free, and I pray for others here who are battling cancer or other illnesses, and God, that you would provide healing and uh, recovery. Help us to be there for each other, and pray you'd be with Wade as he preaches to us. Thank you for a great friend he is to Dustin and I, and uh, to so many, and uh, thank you that he could kick off our series on friendships. I know we all could really benefit from learning what Jesus has to say about relationships, and I pray everyone here is edified from looking into your word uh, this evening. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
2: Of, I love you, love gosh. <laughs> this is so great to be up here. I'm going to kind of get organized a little bit here. Is that good? All right, I'm going to pull out my little uh, clock. And you know what it means when the minister pulls his clock out? Absolutely nothing. That's exactly right. So, <laughs> don't get any... No, I'm going to be disciplined, I'm going to be disciplined. Let's, we need to do a little business. Uh, first, before we get started, a couple of bits of good news that you may not be aware of. One, you have some of the best worship in all of the land. And uh, not just Brian, is exceedingly... I get an opportunity to travel working for hope, and so uh, if you get a chance, the downtown region in Chicago, Bridgepoint in Atlanta, and you guys are the absolute best places to worship. And even if I hated God, I would still come to just listen. So you've got that going for you. So, uh, so I want you to know that. Uh, secondly, that you're only meeting at 4 o'clock twice. That's good news. And so uh, this is the first time in the next week, and then... Oh, oh, sorry. I guess that wasn't that very good news then, huh? So, uh, well, it, it, one more, one more. Awesome. And if it helps to encourage you, the region I led in... in um, Uh, in the East region of the Denver Church for a year and a half, we met at two o'clock in the afternoon, which is absolutely the dumbest thing, and it was across the summer, so we didn't have air conditioning, and the South region was led by the guy who discipled me, so he got first pick, and they had the cool of the morning, and then we had the heat of the afternoon at two, who starts at two? So we did, so four is better, so you got that going for you still. Got to feel, yeah, exactly, could be a lot worse. And, um, and I also want to officially apply, if I might, that this would be my home region or my visiting region. I would like to see if I can be adopted. When I come to LA, I end up coming here more often. Than, so, is, is that okay? So, there are the Jacksons, the Wingies, and the Craigs, probably need to consult and talk, but. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I just, I just, I come to church here more often than any other place in LA, and I, I'm a visitor there. But I just feel at home uh, with you guys. So thank you for being here. And truly, as we're talking about friendships and kicking off your series on faithful friendships, uh, I, I, I stand as a faithful or a, a, a faithful friend. I hope I'm faithful, but as a as a grateful friend. Uh, I mentioned uh, the, the Jacksons, who have known for a long time. The Wingies, I, I don't know if I've communicated, but I'm going to say it every time I'm up here. They changed our marriage. Andy and Karina discipled us uh, for a number of years. When we first went in the ministry in 95, that was who was discipling us. And I remember the conversation when I said to Andy, hey, man, we're thinking about buying a house. And Andy was like, oh, when? And I said, uh, I don't know, in like a month. And he goes, hmm. Go ahead and look, but don't put any deposits down just yet. I go, that's weird. And so they had been thinking about, it, and they asked us to go in the full-time ministry in 1995. And so uh, it was your kindness and your belief in us that uh, launched a career that was amazing. And I still share in my marriage counseling the, uh, the lesson I learned from, uh, from Andy. That is, if your spouse can't communicate to you, it's not their fault. What are you not doing? And, uh, and, and so if you have some marriage counseling, ask Andy about the story. It's, uh, it's a good one. And uh, he, he turned us around. And so I just really appreciate both Andy and Karina, their love, their fidelity, your sweetness. You guys are just amazing people. And uh, so great. That's right. That's what we're doing now, faithful friendships. And as Brian and Dessa said, uh, they are some of our very, very best friends. I, uh, I don't remember that guy's name I invited. He was totally unopened, but this is how God works, that uh, we needed to start a a Bible talk in the dorms. I wasn't a student at the time, so I'm one of this black guy walking around the campus like, hey, you there, you want to study the Bible? Sure, okay, can we do it in your room? And he said, okay. So we had this Bible talk, and I went around inviting people, and I told the RA, oh, yeah, you know, now I'm in because I have a room, and, and a person who sponsors me here, uh, and invited a, a bunch of, of people to his room. He came to the first Bible talk. The second Bible talk, he wasn't even there in his own room, and then it was the third Bible talk. He's like, you got to get out, dude. I'm not even... I'm not feeling this, but we had already started a little bit, and, and that's how God moved, and I think back to the mealworms in the bathtub, and uh, if you know, the the um, uh, couple, I can't think who let us babysit their kid, and uh, so Brian, <laughs> it resulted in the Simmons, the Simmons, so uh, we got to babysit, I don't know why. Uh, Bradley and Bradley was a little toddler, and Brian and I were in charge of Bradley. Uh, and it sounded like a good idea to put a toddler on the top of the stairs while we cleaned up the meal wo- meal uh, worms that were in the bathroom. That's a whole nother story. And then, <laughs> and I remember hearing this, and we looked out and and Bradley had <laughs> slipped down the stairs. Oh, <laughs> so he slipped. He went, and then he went. Down the landing. This is you know like a an 18-month-old kid. And then he got to the very flat part and he like weirdly landed on his on his feet, but he had momentum, and then he went bam right in his head. <laughs> so <laughs> the good news that's right. So the good news is he's he's still alive. But uh <laughs> But man, that's the, that's the kind of bonding stuff that we have in the kingdom. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today, which I'm super excited about. First John, chapter one. So faithful friendships. In uh, starting I think I see it above here, you're gonna, we're gonna, uh, "Life in the Light" is the title. I'm going to try to work that in because my thoughts are primarily setting the foundation that you will get the most out of this. A time of study. And this time of study is sending you on what I think is the third bit of good news that I want to tell you, a life-changing experience. You are going to be talking about relationships over the next number of, what is that, eight weeks, seven weeks, six weeks, whatever it is. Who doesn't love relationships? Who doesn't need relationships? Raise your hand if you think, I'm solo Christian. I'm the man. I'm a woman. No, you're not. You may think you are. Research says the very opposite. Many of us know already some of the common research about newborns. If you were a newborn and you provide food and water and adequate shelter, but you never touch that kid, the kid will stop thriving and eventually die. If you meet all of its other needs, we are created to be in contact. I was just listening to a study. Harvard is doing an ongoing study. It's the longest study in history on adult development. And uh, Harvard, in 1938, started tracking 700 uh, men and 200 boys. The 700 men were all sophomores at Harvard College in 1938. And they started tracking just their general trajectory in life and their uh you know their physical status their relationships they interviewed their children and uh today only a handful of those 700 are still alive they graduated from harvard went to war uh those that made it back they continue to track through all the decades there are a few of them are still alive and that study is ongoing and they would meet with each of the, the the folks in that study and track again their emotional health their mental health their earning potential, their blood pressure, all sorts of of other metrics. And across those 75 years of human development, amongst a couple things they figured out, the most important that was glaring, if you are in close relationship, you have better emotional health and better physical health. You literally live longer, directly dependent on the quality of your relationships. Now, we kind of know that intuitively, but it is a scientific fact, I think, bearing out that God created us to be in community. But as essential a need as that is, and as a universal desire for all of us to be in community, to be in friends, not to necessarily have a thousand friends, but at least to be known by a few, we are remarkably poor. At doing it at creating and maintaining deep relationships and that's what you guys are going to be embarking on of what I get to uh, introduce today that's exciting because you are going to uncover through the Holy Spirit tools positions things to think about ways to be more engaged and at the end of this uh, study not only you but I believe everyone you touch everyone in your constellation of relationships is going to be a little bit healthier so good news to you, even at four in the afternoon, you guys are on to a cool journey, amen? Yeah. Let me ask a couple of questions. This is the interactive portion of our program, okay? And I'm asking you to respond a little bit. Give me some descriptions of a casual relationship. Think about pe- work relationships, a bowling league, Starbucks barista is a casual relationship if you know his or her name. All right, so maybe knowing their name would be one characteristic. Starbucks would be another. What others? What's that? Neighbors. Neighbors? Yes, okay, so there's a proximity of where we live. Excellent, right? No real deep emotional content. Relatively superficial conversation. How are the Dodgers doing? What's the weather like? Okay, that's right. So there's, there's exchange of information, but safe exchange. Uh, split what? chest. Split chest? <laughs> like you- Split chest. Oh, <laughs> I'm like, whoa, uh, I'm not sure what that's about. So, yes, when you, uh, when you uh, eat together, for instance, or there is a, uh, a, a personal responsibility, I'll take care of mine, you take care of yours. Okay, that's right, division, that makes some good sense. Now, if we were to move that casual relationship to a close relationship, what changes? What's some descriptions of a close relationship? Sharing. Sharing. So now we're shared checks. Sharing personal. Sharing personal information. You go to a different level of conversation, which would indicate a different level of safety right. in, in that conversation. Physical affection, and not just "Hey, see ya," but a real sincere greeting or goodbye—an e- effort as human beings to say this isn't the end. That's actually an evolutionarily thing. We are one of the very few animals—if, and I think there's only two others—that hug. And that's not just because we have, you know, uh, opposable thumbs. We, we genetically are that we have affection. honesty and slash vulnerability that we are honest with who we are like karina said vulnerable information but then we also are honest with them you can tell the difference of a relationship when you say hey your breath stinks (laughs) and i'm safe enough i put enough emotional deposits in to tell you i know you don't want to know yeah there's a level of of safety there Similar circumstances. Yes, if you have been through a trauma together, or you grew up together, or you share the uh, uh, you know, same college, or th- th- there's something that ties you together in addition just to who you are. So those are differences of a, of a close relationship. What moves that close relationship to a spiritual relationship? But God. But what do you mean by that? Okay, it's so only we can have a spiritual relationship. True. Well stated. I was going to restate that, but that's the perfectly way it's stated. A common experience of giving your life over when someone else shares that value, that takes you to another level. That's right, Lynn. Man, with scripture, with intense, with intentionality, you resolve it. If you just are bugged with male person, you're like, and eh, whatever. But it's important that you resolve it. That's true. Uh, even another level of honesty, of vulnerability, of who you are, of how you feel. Praying together, and again, slash praying for each other, and praying with each other. Just as an aside, I think I have it in my notes somewhere. But as a body, we need to pray together more. If you look across the scriptures, so often what's recorded is they were praying together in the upper room when the the, the at Pentecost. They prayed together as a as a fellowship. And we should pray by each, by ourselves and pray for each other, but how often do we corporately come together to marshal prayer? That's good. Man, there's the A word, accountability. That there's an expectation. And accountability isn't mean. Accountability means I have a belief that you can do it. And I'm gonna check in on you. And we have both agreed that you want to do this, so how's it going? Spiritual relationships have a different dynamic of holding each other accountable. That's excellent to what we wanna do. The very back. What's that? Marriage. I hope you have a thoughtful, spiritual relationship. In in but you know what? And it's interesting that you don't have to be. If if you, I'll go back a little bit and say, restate it this way. Good marriages, whether they are church attenders or not, or even people of faith or not, practice biblical behaviors. They're honest. They're accountable to each other. They serve each other. They're faithful. Marriage was, in my opinion, not just my opinion. I I would have evidence to say it's designed by God because godly things make it work. And so just this isn't a marriage seminar, but this is something you'll want to attend to eventually. (laughs) Being spiritual is how you're going to have the marriage you want. And it's how you have the relationships that you want. And that's what we're talking about, faithful friendships. Not just close relationships, not just corporate relationships, but spiritual, deep, engaged, helpful. That's what, we are, that's what you want to have. Second only to being loved, people want to be understood. You want to be known. And more than known accepted after you're known. How do we do that? Well, you're going to be studying through First John, uh, not all of it today, and I just realized that I left my Bible down there, so uh, can someone give me a Bible? <laughs> yeah, again, I'm, if I was a guest speaker, that would be a problem, but since I live here, uh, you know, I can just thank you. What is your name? Ben, uh, my name's Benjamin. Benjamin. We're closer friends now because he shared his Bible <laughs> with me. <laughs> Thing. Oh, I just found it. And now, I, uh, is yours bigger print? <laughs> Benjamin, your eyes. Yes, I can actually read this. Benjamin, I still love you. I do. <laughs> you have better eyes than I. First John, chapter one. So we're going to go through uh, this uh, setting up the foundation of the book, and you're over the next, I guess, five weeks or so. You're going to be studying out each of the chapters in First John. Uh, when you study a book, just some principles here. There's five things that you need to, to uh, ask yourself and work through before you dive into the book. The first is who wrote it. The letter itself does not tell it tell us who it, who it was. The tradition that John is the author, and there's many parallel passages and phraseologies from the Book of John, the Gospel of John, that we know John wrote. So it's been his, it's church history and common acceptance that John, although it's not stated in an actual book, wrote First John. It was written. And the second question you want to ask first is who wrote it? The second is when was it written? And it's about 90 A.D. Now John of the 14 apostles, so, and trust me, that's the number. You'll add it up. 14 apostles was historically uh, believed to be the very last one and the only one who died of natural causes. So all the rest were martyred. And although John was boiled alive, he survived. So he was a tough old coot. But one of the youngest in Jesus' entourage and the last to to, uh, uh, die and die of natural causes. And this is uh, the series, First, Second, and Third John, were letters that he wrote, and many think about 50 or 60 years after the death of Jesus and after his resurrection. So about 90 AD. The third question is to whom was it written? And that would be Paul, uh, the, area, the churches in the area of Ephesus. John was in exile. In that area, a, uh, uh, he was under house arrest until his death as uh, you know, a, a traitor to the Roman Empire, but a, a faithful guy they couldn't boil to death, so they just let him live out his days. And, uh, and, and he would take in visitors and connect to people. And man, what a cool fellowship would that be? To go hang out with John and say, man, tell me the days. You talk about the old days, hanging out with Jesus. What was his voice like? What did he say? What did he do? You wrote at the end of your book, if you were talking to John, that Jesus did many other things. I just wrote these down that you'd believe. What were some of those other things? Man, would that be a great fellowship? And so he uh, wrote and had relationships around this area of Ephesus, and there were some challenges coming up within the churches there. That's why John wrote these, these letters. The fourth thing you'd ask is, again, what occasioned the letter? So who wrote it? When did they write it? To whom was it written? And what was the reason for the letter? And there were some uh, weird doctrines that were coming up within the church. Gnosticism, Dosticism uh, are the the global terms. We won't get into all that now. But the, the end result of some of those was this teaching that Jesus was actually a man. He was not God and man. And that he was just a man on which the Holy Spirit, the godliness when he was born and assumed his ministry, came upon him, and he acted like God, and did all these awesome things, and then he died and his essence went back to heaven. But he was never the, the same thing. And John refutes that. No, he was God and man. There was another teaching that was invading the church was that, Uh, the the spiritual and the emotional are totally disconnected from your body. So it doesn't really matter what you do in the body. Smoke, be immoral, they're two different things. They just happen to inhabit the same space. So you could be a Christian, you could be faithful, you could be happy, and you could do whatever you want in sin. But isn't that a great life? And so one of the things that John addresses here is, no, that is false. No, you cannot do that. That's not true. And he addresses some other things. And, and to know what occasion the, the scriptures is important because a, a, a re, an, an efference or a, a scripture can never mean what it never meant. Right. Instead of reading, and the challenge we have 2,000 years ago is we read things sometimes into the scriptures. Instead of figuring out what are the scriptures actually saying. That is, the audience that was reading these words, what would they have heard? What would they have interpreted? That is how you accurately figure out what this scripture says. And then the fifth step is you make applications to what they would have heard. All right, does that all make sense? That's a lot getting in there. So why don't we start reading 1 John chapter 1. That which from the beginning, which we have heard... Chapter 1, verse 1. Which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it, and we testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father. And with his son, Jesus Christ, we write this to make our joy complete. Verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. A couple powerful things that John says there. First of all, this Jesus really is the Son of God. He really did come back from the dead. One of the best jobs I ever had as a high school student, I was a surgical orderly in Texas. And for one summer, I cleaned up hospital rooms and then um, uh, set them back up for surgeries. But during surgeries, I could walk in and out of any room and just check out. So I saw hip replacements and open-heart surgeries and brain surgeries. And, man, as a pre-med, I was fired up about that. Well, one of the Mondays I came into work, there was a guy who had been in a car accident Friday night. When I walked in and checked in, he was on his eighth surgery. He had been in and out of surgery all weekend. And he finally died about an hour into my shift. And there was this poor intern who was just finally had to sew him up. And he just, the, the car accident was too much, and he just couldn't, he'd lost too much blood, and so he died. Uh, and in that time, right at, immediately after the surgery, there's some paper you can fill out, protocol, the more it comes up, but that takes about 45 minutes to an hour. And they leave the body uh, in, in state so there's any investigations they can see and take pictures of what actually happened. In that time, the blood pools, and, and the skin starts to sort of spread out, and, and the body just kind of sinks in, and it smells terrible, it did, because this guy had been on uh, sheets of blood, each time he'd been rushed into surgery, it was immediate, so they didn't change the sheets over, they would just pick him up, throw on a new one, and, and start going. So it was this terrible scene, and it smelled like burnt cornflakes. If you want to go home and light a cornflake, you'll get the whole experience. And they come in, they wheel him down to the morgue. Now, what would have happened if I was in that room and that guy would have just popped up? What would would you think I would do? Or what would you do? Freak out. That guy was dead. And now he is alive. How? His blood was pooling. It had been hours. This is what John is trying to communicate in the first book and the first few chapters. He was dead. Now he's alive. That is not small news, friends. And I didn't hear it by rumor. I touched him. I talked to him. He looked me in the eye. This is a vital concern and understanding to you. Jesus was dead. He is now alive. That changes everything. He was not just a good preacher and not just a good dude. He was God on earth, I'm telling you. You've got to embrace that. Yep. And before we even get to relationships, I'm going to ask you, does Jesus still mean that? His resurrection mean that to you? Come on. Or is Jesus a good idea? Is Jesus really the Son of God? That's awesome, the resurrection, woo! If you really embrace the resurrection, victory over death, he is back, and he's coming back. That's going to change your priorities. I thought the Blanco's sharing was so powerful. Your healing is so encouraging because the potential of death, just like Kathy said, changes your priorities. It helps you understand what's Real. What matters. And that's what the resurrection should do for you. So I just ask you, this is not a communion talk, I'm asking. How much does Jesus come back from the dead inspire you? Change your behavior. Change your seriousness. Change your engagement with the scriptures. Change your engagement with each other. He's back. So you want to have fellowship with us? You want to have real community? You want to have real spiritual relationship? Man, that's something we can both hold on to and should hold on to. And if this fellowship is known for nothing else, I hope you know that we believe in the resurrection. And Easter isn't just a thing we do a couple weeks ago. We live it every day. That's awesome. That's cool. And verse 7, which is the theme verse of the whole... um, series, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Again, a depth, a, a, a genuineness, a spirituality, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. In the original Koine Greek, that word purifies is actually written in a constant tense. So, it's not like you were baptized and all your sin was forgiven and then you kind of add it up and then it's forgiven again at communion the moment you sin, it's forgiven the moment you sin, it's forgiven it's like the blood is flowing over you constantly that's the importance of your baptism not just to connect you and to break through the, the death and the, and the hold of sin but the blood of jesus that sacrifice is constantly 24 7 365 days cleansing you. Powerful, on, oh, immediate, immediate. You sin, it's gone. You sin, it's gone. You sin, it's gone. That's how you stay pure always. Amen. Do you live like that? Many of us are not living to the full passion of freedom from sin. You go back to it. Why do you lie? You don't have to anymore. Amen. Why don't you forgive? You can let it go. Why do you still listen to those voices of Satan that you're not enough? That you're too young, you're too old, you're too fat, you're too skinny, you're... That's Satan. Distracting you. Don't listen to those anymore. You're free. One of the challenges, I chair our diversity committee in Denver, and I've been studying about the reconstruction. One of the challenges of the four and a half million black souls brought to Africa, back from Africa to the United States in slavery, four and a half million people over the course of slavery, those still enslaved in 1865 at the end of the Civil War, many of them were just, you're free, go. But they didn't know how to live free. They had been enslaved for many of them, all of their life. And I think we, some of us, right after your baptism, still don't know how to live free. That's why you need friendships. That's why you need connection and help and people that help you spiritually. Raise it up there, yes, we're helping each other. Because we don't know naturally how to live free. We don't know how to be engaged and be vulnerable. we lost that intimacy in, G- in uh, Genesis. Genesis chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. One of the most beautiful descriptions of Adam and Eve and how God created them is that they were naked and they felt no shame. So it certainly means that they were, uh, didn't wear clothing. That's, that's fine. But it goes beyond. It says they, they had no secrets. They were mentally naked. There were no secrets with each other. There was absolute safety and exchange of information on who I am and vulnerability. They were emotionally naked, emotionally safe. They had such a level of trust with each other that I envision if, I'll use this, I'll say Adam had gained a few pounds. Eve could say, hey, looks like you're getting a little tired. You've gained a little weight. And Adam would go, oh, you think so? I should probably knock off the kumquats there. Yeah, thanks. Maybe the conversation can even go the other way. Eve, you've gained a little weight, huh? Think so? I should knock off the kumquats. Could you have that conversation now? If you're married, hey baby, look a little fat. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the level, and I'm not saying that's a good conversation. I'm saying. But that's the level of love and trust and support that could maintain even a boneheaded conversation like that. That's, right. that's the level of their relationship. They were spiritually engaged, they really took care of each other. And actually, the, after the fall, what Adam's fault was, was he did not do what God assumed he would do with his body. Adam was the one that was given the commands. Adam passed on the information to Eve, but he did not pass on the heart of it. So when Eve is tempted to eat the apple, when the snake is talking to her there, Adam is standing right there, and instead of saying, no, 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 we're on the same team, Get away, he just goes, huh, I wonder if she will die. Let's let her eat it. And then she ate it, and nothing happened. Huh, okay, I'll try too. And it wasn't the eating the apple. It was that, Adam, you didn't take care of your buddy. You didn't protect your buddy. You're all going to suffer in consequence by this broken level of intimacy. Jesus brought all of that possibility back by his resurrection. That's why we need each other's relationships, to be able to live free, to be reminded That your sin is forgiven immediately because if you've been baptized for the gifts of your sins man immediate it's awesome if you've not i would suggest you highly look into it and really consider what jesus has to do for your life so walking in the light participating and benefiting from the relationship sharing that with each other those are the things amongst a few others That help you get super close. I want to talk about just a few practicals, and I'm going to wrap it up here. So, a couple practicals to get the most out of your time in the in the scriptures. One, show up for all of it, and not just show up. Pay attention. I always like to say as the, uh, uh, if I was a guest speaker, I'm not the guest speaker here, but I'll just be, if you like what you heard today, come next week. There's more of the same. If you didn't like what you heard today, come next week because the real guy's preaching. (laughs) But anyway, come back. And I would encourage you to bring your friends because what we're talking about changes communities. It changes junior highs, it changes high schools, it changes trajectories of who you are. Who you are and what you think, I say to young people, I say to all human beings, are the predictors of who you'll become. Who you are, who you hang out with, and what you think is the two direct predictors of who you'll become. So your friendships and your internal dialogue, these are powerful forces. And you're going to be talking about them and looking at God's direction for them and getting encouraged about them. And that's important for your community. Your neighbor does not have to be a a spiritual person to embrace and get some real benefit out of it. So come. Keep showing up. There's much the Holy Spirit wants to say for you. Number two, this is significant stuff. This is important. Our communities, our country... We are in need of close relationships. We have too much superficial relationship. One of the things my mom said to me about my generation a number of years ago is, I lament the loss of community. When my mom was growing up, and for many of our, uh, I guess not so much for you guys, but for you guys, your parents, you may remember the day when your neighbors could spank you. And if you got spanked by your neighbor, what happened when your parents got home? You got spanked again because you got spanked. <laughs> like, man, everybody's raising me. Indeed, everybody was raising you. My mother grew up in Galveston, Texas. And she grew up, she was about seven uh, towards the end of World War II. And in her community and the blocks around, there were so many people that had been dying towards the end of the war, uh, men who had been in World War II, that the government stopped going house to house to deliver the notes of death. They just brought the letters to an area and gave it to the neighbors. And the neighbors shared the news with each other. Your next-door neighbor would come next door and say, your son has been killed. And they actually found that to be so much more effective Because a soldier wouldn't just deliver it and say some very kind words and leave, but those neighbors would sit down and they would cry together, and they'd brew a pot of coffee, and they would talk,
3: and they had community. Man, that's
2: that's what our world needs. So this is significant stuff. I want you to be that light in your neighborhood. I'm sure you want to be that light in your neighborhood. So this is significant stuff. Shared joy is double joy. Shared sorrow is half the sorrow. I don't know where I read that or who told it to me, but that is the power of relationship. Shared joy is double the joy. Shared sorrow is half the sorrow. We need those relationships to live together in the challenges that are before us. If the Blancos had gone through their cancer scare, and I pray it is just a, a scare in a memory, by themselves, how much more difficult, how much more disorienting, how much more painful, both physically and emotionally, but to have friends come with you. You can provide that for each other. And finally, this is the best place to embrace pure scripture in this fellowship God has a message and God has engaged us to work together to be a light to this world I want to show a video right now we ready and I'm going to wrap up with a couple thoughts from this video and then we'll be done
3: Have you ever faced an impossible choice? Like having to choose between medicine or food for your family? Deciding which road to school is least likely to be bombed? Or which one of your children to give the only life vest to? Millions of people are faced with impossible choices like these every day. We're in the midst of one of the greatest humanitarian crises of our lifetime. We are witnessing human suffering unlike any we've seen before. Every day, we receive more news, more facts, Billions are
1: counting on us. I didn't ask for a carima. I mean, I I not You to go to school, go to school, go to school. You جنو family, my عندي my عائلتي ابني وزوجي نريد نعيش مكان امن
3: together this is our chance to act and put humanity first we all have a role to play let us commit to resolve conflict through dialogue and reconciliation rather than violence and revenge and hunger for those in need, to secure civilian safety from bombs and landmines, to ensure displaced children receive an education, and that the most vulnerable in crisis receive care. This is our shared humanity. We are one humanity. Now is the time.
2: The UN produced that video in 2016 and they had started an initiative called the Humanity Project which is to say there is enough food, there is enough water, there is enough space, there can be enough safety for everyone on the planet. We can do this. What's lacking is community, what's lacking is love, what's lacking is for human beings to reach out to their fellow human beings and say, regardless of your color of skin or background or sexual orientation, I'm going to give you the dignity of being a human being and serve and help and model love. We can do this. That's why we need the church. That is not going to get fixed by politics or bombs or crazy rhetoric. That will only get fixed with the love of Jesus Christ that is in you. You are part of the solution. So let's build ourselves. Let's build our community. Let's let God use us to change this world. And to God be the glory, we will live relationships that are faithful and deep and transformative. Amen? Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.